The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Bibles to Ezra, chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Um, one of the things that I have really been learning a lot over the past few months as I've been reading and studying and prepping for this message series is just how, just how out of, of order the Bibles that we typically use are. And here's, here's what I mean by that. They're just not historically in the order that the things take place in. They're oftentimes aligned by um, genres. So we have the prophets, and the prophets are lined up by the longest books of the prophets to the shortest books of the prophets. And that does not mean that they happened in like historical order. Paul's letters in the New Testament are also lined up in the exact same way. They're organized from longest to shortest. They're not organized by when they took place, but they're just not set up in a way that I think, and who cares what I think? They're just not set up in a way that I think it makes sense. So it's really hard to understand the big story when we look and study, look and read the Bible in the ways that we typically do that. We have to do a lot of jumping back and forth between the stories and the, and the narratives in the Old Testament when we read about kings and prophets and um, how they line up and how they're organized. So we're gonna do a little bit of hopping around today, which is nothing new because we've been doing that for the past um, several months in this series. So today we're gonna be really talking about how the Bible works to, to remind me of my story and help me as I wait for the arrival of the Messiah. But that's what the Old Testament books were about. That's what's going on post Exile. Remember, the prophets were broken down into four different parts. There was pre-Northern uh, Kingdom exile, after Northern Kingdom, before they were taken to Babylon. Then they were taken to Babylon, and then they all returned home. And now we're in this part of the biblical story where the people have returned home after 70 years of exile. And if we're not careful, if we don't read the story correctly, we will lose what's going on within the text. So for instance, as we look at the first several books of the Bible, we read First and Second Kings, right? And then you read First and Second Chronicles. And if you're doing like a Bible through the year plan, you get about four pages into First Chronicles and you're telling yourself, wait a minute, I just read this. This sounds exactly what I just read in First and Second Kings. So I think I'm gonna skip it. Well, that is a huge mistake, okay? Because what, what, I want, what, what you need to understand, what I need to understand is that Chronicles was written after the return of the exile and it has a different purpose. And if we're not careful when we read the Bible in this way, we miss so much of what's going on. Another, I would say, bad thing about the book of Chronicles is it begins with a genealogy, Right? So if it's not bad enough that you just read first and second Kings and all of the stories sound the same, what you have is about 10 pages of genealogies in your Bible reading plan. So again, like I'm a human being. So when I hit that in my Bible reading plan, like I'm skipping ahead, right? I want to get to I want to get to the good stuff. 
But, but here's what I want you to understand today about First and Second Chronicles. It was originally one book, and it was at the end of the Hebrew Scriptures. So when the Jewish people compiled their scriptures together, the book, it was one book, the book of Chronicles was the very last thing that was part of their Hebrew scriptures. Now, that's not the end of our Old Testament, but the original Jewish Old Testament ended with the book of Chronicles. And it tells the entire story of the Hebrew people. The first word in the book of Chronicles in Hebrew is Adam. And the last, at the end of what we call Chronicles chapter two, it ends with King Cyrus of Persia telling the people that they are allowed to go back home. So it tells their entire story in one book. We've been talking over the past several months about how God made all things and he made all things to be good. He created the world to be his temple. That was the purpose of the Garden of Eden. The world was going to be his temple. And we, people, as people who were made in God's image, we were supposed to be God's icons. Now, I don't know what you think of when you hear the word icon. Maybe you think some sort of Catholic imagery or Eastern Orthodox imagery. But what an icon does is it points to something else. See, we were made in God's image. We are the icons of God. We are to point other people to God. We are his image. If you remember a few years ago, we talked about the 10 commandments. The second commandment, don't make any graven images. Do you remember that? Do you know why God didn't want any graven images? Because he already had them. It was us. We were to image God. We were to point people to God. We were designed to represent him. And instead, what we did was we heard what he told us was good. And this is just humanity. This is humanity's story. We heard what he told us was good and we chose to do something else. Anybody do that this week? Just me? Okay, like four people and the rest of you are lying. (laughs) Right? Like we... We know what God has called us to. And this week, in some way, shape, or form, every single person in this room said, I don't want to do what God wants. At some point in the week, and maybe you didn't say that because like, we would never say that, right? But we do it. So this is humanity's story. We know what God calls us to do. We know how God calls us to live, how God calls us to be. And throughout history, mankind has rejected him. And then we wonder why we're in the situations that we find ourselves in. We wonder why we're dealing with consequences of sin. So Adam and Eve, they reject God. There's a whole host of people who continue to reject God. And then years later, God chooses the family of Abraham to bring blessing and be light to the rest of the world. And we followed Abraham's family uh, through, through slavery in Egypt and then freedom from Egypt. We saw these people were consistently choosing their own path again, like us. And even the kings couldn't save them. The prophets and the priests could not save the people. So God had told them long ago, he said, You're, you guys are gonna get to the promised land and you are not gonna listen to anything I have to tell you. Like you're gonna give it a good run. You're gonna give it four or 500 years 
but eventually you're just gonna choose your own way. And when that happens, I am going to allow you to go into exile. I'm gonna punish you. One of the things when, when Ann and I were, were younger parents, we had just had no idea how to be parents. Anybody else have no idea how to be a parent? Sees more of you raise your hand on that. That's good, right? We just had no idea how to be parents. We went to this, we went to this parenting class and we, they introduced us to the phrase threatening, repeating parents. Threatening, repeating parents. You know what that is, right? That's where you tell your kids you're gonna do all of these horrible things to them unless they behave. And then you never do any of those horrible things to them, but you just keep telling them that over and over and over again. See, God's not a threatening, repeating parent. God is telling his people that there's a way to live and there's a way that leads to death. And if you choose death, which you will, you're gonna go into exile. I'm gonna allow you because I love you, because I care for you, because I care for the creation that I have made. I'm going to allow you to go into exile. And that's what happened. First, it was the Assyrians in the Northern Kingdom. The Southern Kingdom people, they were like, oh yeah, that's not gonna happen to us. We see all of this taking place, but, but, but God's gonna let us live because he loves us more because we have a temple here. And then years later, the Babylonians came in and they destroyed the temple, they destroyed Jerusalem and they took the people back um, to Babylon with them with a few people living still in Jerusalem. But there was hope because God is a God of hope. And what he told them was, you're only going to be in exile for 70 years. And at the end of that 70 years, you're gonna go home. You're gonna return to the land I gave you because I'm, as much as I'm not a threatening, repeating parent, this is the Mulholland paraphrase, as much as you're not, I'm not a threatening, repeating parent, I'm also a God who keeps my promises. So in 70 years, you're gonna, you're gonna go home. You're gonna return to the promised land and, and true to form, like the people just go home. Cyrus lets the people go home. We're gonna read that text in a minute. But when they, when they get home, there are people in crisis because how could they not be a people in crisis? They were probably asking questions like, are we really God's people? Like we just went through 70 years of suffering are we really God's people? What if we're not? What if we're not really God's people? What if that's the reason why we went into exile? Is God really looking out for us? Is God really caring for us? Are we really his people? Like what if, what if, the, what if the prophets and the priests and the kings and all of the people who had read the scriptures to us, what if they were wrong? What if we had this whole thing wrong? And see, that's why the genealogy in Chronicle, in the first book of Chronicles, first Chronicles. That's why the genealogy is so important because the genealogy says you weren't wrong. The genealogy gives them an identity. We were talking about the genealogies, I think it was the week before last on the morning Devo that we do. And I got permission to say this, but, but Lori Reynolds says, I call the genealogies the begats. And that's the part that I skip over. This person begat that person, begat that person, begat that person. 
But here's the thing, if, if we really believe that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and correcting and rebuking and training in righteousness so the man and woman of God can be fully equipped to do what God has for us, then those genealogies are in there for a reason. And those genealogies shout to the people that are wondering who they are. Yes, you are my people. Because it, it reveals their link to the ancient Israelite people. And it begins by focusing on two specific tribes in, in, in First and Second Chronicles. And that's why you should read them. That's why you shouldn't skip them. There are two tribes in first, that First Chronicles really focuses on, the tribe of Judah and the tribe of the Levites. So why those two tribes? Why are, why are those two tribes more important? Well, the tribe of Judah is the tribe of David, the kingly line of David. And the tribe of the Levites are the, are the tribe of the priests and the temple workers. So King David was of the tribe of Judah, and we can follow his descendants through First and Second Chronicles as they reigned through Israel. And remember, the, the purpose of the kings were to be an ideal leader. All of the world was to look to Israel, was to the look to, to the kings of Israel and say to themselves, that's what I want to be like. That, I wish my leader was like that. This is an apolitical statement. Well, not really. Um, what would it be like for the world to look at our nation, at our leaders, and say, man, I wish, I wish we had leaders like that. I wish we could be held up. See, this is what God's kings were supposed to be. They were supposed to be leaders that, that everyone looked at as the city on a hill, the, 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 the country of Israel was supposed to be looked at as a demonstration of godly leadership. David planned the construction of the temple. His son Solomon completed the temple. Well, why was that so important? Because the temple and the tabernacle, they were, they were demonstrations of God's presence. See, when the people of Israel ever wondered whether or not God was really with them, at this point in history, they could look to the temple. There he is. He's here. He's here. He's here. Well, when they go home, there is no temple. Where's God? Is he with us? Is he really in charge of this? And then we had the Levites. They were to show the world how people were to worship God. They were the example. They were to stand in front of the people and tell them and teach them and equip them with all of the tools that they needed to be able to worship God. The Levites were the religious leaders of the people. And I don't know how much you pay attention to that what's happening like in the news with Christian leaders all around um, the United States, all around the world. But over the last five or six years, and it's really longer than that, but over the last five or six years, there have been a number of very, very high profile, very influential Christian leaders who have not been faithful to God. And it's, it's shipwrecking 
the faith of people all around the world. Dave Parrish was telling us a few weeks ago in an elders meeting about just the impact that the, the ministry of Ravi Zacharias had on the people of India being from India. And I don't know if, you're, if you know what's happening with Ravi Zacharias. Some like really, un, an unfortunate doesn't even begin to cover it. They're removing his name from their ministry. And the church in India is struggling. He, this, this guy is one of us. Who are, is this whole Christian thing for real? Why would, why would we believe that? So these, these priests and this, this tribe, they were designed to point people to God, to, be a, to demonstrate for them how they were to worship. They were temple officials and they were judges and they were musicians and they were gatekeepers and they cared for all of the rooms in the temple and they did all of these things. And this was very specific. Sometimes we read the Bible and we're like, why is it so specific? Well, because, because the Lord is not some localized, regionalized God. The Lord is the Lord of all things. And he says how he wants to be worshiped. And thank God we do not live in a time and an era where we have to worship God and go to temple like they did. It was a bloody mess. It was constant sacrifices for our sins, to pay for our sins, to pay for their sins. So they're entering into this space like we don't know who we are. Let's read, um, let's read Ezra verses one to 11. I'm gonna read these from my Bible. Um, I'm gonna get that other text in a second. But I'm just gonna read Ezra uh, verses one to 11 for you so you know how the people got out of exile. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. He stirred the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation in writing and to send it throughout the kingdom. So I want you to notice that the Lord is leading this whole thing. Cyrus didn't just wake up one day and be like, I think I'm gonna let the people go. No, it says that the Lord stirred Cyrus's heart. This is what Cyrus, King, of Persia said, King Cyrus of Persia says, the Lord, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth He's appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any of you who are as, who are as people may go to Jerusalem and Judah to rebuild this temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives in Jerusalem. And may your God be with you. Wherever this Jewish remnant is found, let their neighbors contribute toward their expenses by giving them silver and gold, supplies for the journey and livestock, as well as a voluntary offering for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Then God stirred the hearts of the priests and the Levites and the leaders of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple of the Lord. And all their neighbors assisted by giving them articles of silver and gold, supplies for the journey and livestock. They gave them many valuable gifts in addition to all the voluntary offerings. King Cyrus himself brought out the articles that King Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the Lord's temple in Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his own gods. Cyrus directed Mithridath, the treasurer of Persia, to count these items and present them to Sheshbazar, the leader of the exiles returning to Judah. This is a list of items that were returned. Gold basins, 30. Silver basins, 1,000. Silver incense burners, 29. Gold bowls, 30. Silver bowls, 410. Other items, 1,000. 
In all, there were 5,400 articles of gold and silver. Sheshbazar brought all these along when the exiles went from Babylon to Jerusalem. As I was reading this early, it's earlier this week, it's always funny to me how I think a sermon is gonna do one thing and then it just goes off the rails and goes completely in a different direction. I love it when that happens because it reveals to me I literally have no idea what I'm doing. Like it's such a, it's such a, it's such a thorn in my side. Like it's such, a, it's such a piece of humility to be like, oh man, what do I know about what I'm reading? God has a bigger plan. And as I was reading this story, like I couldn't get over the fact that the government had just given the Jewish people a stimulus of 5,400 articles of silver and gold. What'd they do with it? Let's look in Haggai, verses one, three to six. You didn't think I was gonna talk about the stimulus today, did you? You were hoping I wasn't. What'd the people do? Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Look at what's happened to you. You've planted much but harvest little. You eat but are not satisfied. You drink but are still thirsty. You put on clothes but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. See, that ought to sound familiar because we read it a few weeks ago. And this is, this, is why, this is why what we need to start doing as people who want to read and understand the Bible, we have to start connecting stories. We have to start connecting the prophets to what's taking place in Chronicles and the prophets to the kings. So we know what's going on in the story because here's what's going on in the story. The people went home after 70 years of exile and they were in their homes and literally nothing changed. Their hearts had not shown a single iota of change. When they were given the choice Jesus will call this storing up your treasures on heaven or storing up your treasures on earth when they're given that choice. Because remember why Cyrus sent them home? To build the temple. He didn't say anything about their houses. He sent them home to build their temple. And what'd they do? They built their houses. They hadn't changed a single bit. Because I think just after 70 years, their houses were just more important to them. A few weeks ago, I had someone, um, I had someone come to me and say, hey, I, uh, we're supposed to get some new, they're talking about some new stimulus. Is there something that I could give that to the church for? <clears throat> and I said, well, here's, here's gonna be my answer to you. 
I, re- I just recommend that if you wanna give money to Westway, you just give to our general fund. And, and here's why. Like I knew, as Becky referred to a little earlier today, I knew we were kind of in the, in the trailing end of our process in our search for looking for a pastor of creative arts. And what I said was, um, we're gonna have to pay that person to move here. So that's gonna, that's gonna cost financially. There's gonna be some other, other things associated with a person that starts a new job. They might need a new computer in their office. They, they might need some new things. So each one of us, maybe you haven't got yours yet. Like, I'm not gonna tell you what to do with your stimulus. But I think this raises some really interesting questions. And I was reading, and as I was reading that text, the irony of our moment where like every American is gonna be handed $1,400. And there are things that, that like we as a church are trying to do and other churches all around the world are trying to do, have real financial needs. Like, what are you gonna do? What, what are you going to do? How are you going to invest what you have been given? And if everyone, like, get, like this is when, I hate it when this happens to me because it makes me say things like what I'm about to say. Like if every person in here gave their complete stimulus check, I think we pay our building off. I'm not, like this isn't about guilting and shaming. This is just like, what are we doing? How are we, how are we spending what we have? What is God concerned about for us? And I'm just really challenged by this. I can't not be challenged by the text when I, when I read it. Well, back in the text, Haggai calls out the people in their disobedience and they go to work and they build the temple, but they also gave. So this is, this is Ezra 2, verse uh, 68. This is also gonna be on the screen. When they arrived at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, some of the family leaders made voluntary offerings toward the rebuilding of God's temple on its original site. And each leader gave as much as he could. The total of their gifts came to 61,000 gold coins, 6,250 pounds of silver, and 100 robes for the priests. What I find so interesting about that is, is when Cyrus told the people to leave, he said, the people are gonna voluntarily give you money. One of the things that we've been talking about over the past week and a half or so on our morning devotion that we do is this concept of design pattern. How we see the same thing happening over and over and over again in the Bible. When the people left Egypt, you know what happened to them? All of the Egyptians gave them money. And then they took that money and then they built the tabernacle and all of these things. And what's interesting is the people leave Babylon on their way out of town, like everyone's giving them money, giving them cash. Well, what'd they do with it? Well, they kind of started out by building their houses, but doesn't Ezra tell us something else? They gave it. They donated it. 
I don't want you to miss some of the key words and phrases from those few little verses. Some, not everyone participated and joined in. Some of them did. It was voluntary. That means it was not compulsory. There was no guilt. There was no shame. I'm not here to guilt you and shame you. I am here to tell you what the Bible says. I am here to call you and to call myself towards obedience in Scripture. It says, each leader gave as much as he could. Each leader. Why the leaders? Because the leaders are the examples within the body of God followers. I would say, because we are a priesthood of all believers, this is something we're gonna talk about in a few weeks after Easter. We're gonna spend four weeks talking about the church. I would say as a priesthood of all believers, what that means is, is every, every person who is a follower of Christ is a priest. That means we're all leaders. And they gave as much as they could. Wow. As much as they could. See, I have to start asking myself questions when I read stuff like this. And maybe this is why we don't read the Bible. Right? Because if I don't read the Bible, I don't know this is in the Bible, so then I'm not going to be held accountable to what's in the Bible. Again, you would never say, like, we would never say that. But when we read the Bible as it's written, we have to start asking ourselves some questions. We have to be sensitive to what God is possibly saying to us. And I just don't think that we have the right to say, well, that's, that's the Old Testament. That's those people. See, I, I, it doesn't work that way because the Bible's timeless and it's timely for us. And they built the temple. So the people come out of exile and they start asking questions, right? Well, if we rebuild the temple, then we're gonna need priests. And why wouldn't we need a king? What kind of king will that person be? And I want you to, I want you to start to see how at this point in the biblical story, the people are starting to look ahead. Because they're looking back on their past. They have all of these genealogies and they have all of these stories that have told them of failure after failure after failure after failure. And they're wondering, who's gonna fix this? How much longer is this gonna go wrong before someone comes in and fixes this. I just imagine that at this point in the story, the people are just, are throwing up their hands. Maybe like some of you have done in your Christian life. I felt that way. I just, I just can't do this anymore. I can't do this on my own. Who's gonna fix this? The real irony of this message is I called it a hopeful exile. Like, where's the hope in this? We know the exile, but where's the hope? Hope is in the fact that the people are home and they're starting to rebuild 
and they need to remember their identity as God's people. And they needed to demonstrate not just where their hope was, but where their heart was. And I just, I just have to think as these people are given this choice that's been faced by generation upon generation upon generation before them. that they would choose to be obedient to God. That they would see all of the hardship and the heartache because these people would have had, would have had family members that died in Babylon. These people would have had family members that died in Jerusalem. The tribe of the Levites would have had family members who were Levites killed in the temple. And what choice are the people going to make So they just had to look forward. They had no choice at this point but to look forward to something else. And that's the hope, is to look forward, is to wonder in anticipation of what God is doing. Back in 2013, um, I I was in a really bad place of struggling with anger and bitterness. Like I was a wreck, really struggling. It was, affecting, it was affecting everything that was happening at home. It was happening everything that was happening at work. And we were living in the Chicago area. Anne and I went to, um, I have Mondays off. So we always went to Starbucks on Monday. We're sitting in this Starbucks and we knew we were gonna have this conversation. We both knew that I was a wreck. And, and she looks at me and says, um, you need to go see a counselor. Like this just, this isn't working. You need to go and see a counselor. So I did. It was one of the best decisions I ever make. I wanna encourage you. If, you. if you're at a spot where you feel like you need to seek professional help, I wanna encourage you to do that. So I went to a counselor and it was probably one, probably one of the best decisions I ever made in my entire life. Very early on, I don't know if it was the first session or the second session, but, but, the, but, but my counselor asked me, John, what do you wanna be like when this is over? I was like, man, that's a really good question. And he was like, I know, I'm a counselor, that's what I do. What do you wanna be like, John, when this is over. What did God want his people to look like? See, all they had to do was read Genesis through Second Chronicles and see what they were supposed to be like. When we ask that question, what does God want us to be like? It's here. It's in this book. And we, we don't worship the Bible, but we use it because we recognize that this is how God is speaking to us. When we read the words of scripture, we encounter God. That's why we're challenged by what we read. The next 400 years of history for the Jewish people would be marked by conquest. It was the Babylonians, and then it was the Persians, and then it was the Greeks, And then it was the Romans. They had a few rebellions mixed in there. 
Some of them almost worked. But the forces of the nations were too strong for them. And they had shipwrecked the realities of who they were and turned their backs on God to the point where all they could do was look ahead to look to the Messiah. And I think this is where our story and their story starts to intersect. In the Easter video that we showed at the very beginning of our time today, it was a year ago that we went into, that we went into shutdown. It's funny, on someone on Facebook and my little memories thing popped up today. And a year ago yesterday, we were, we were recording t- March 22nd's sermon in my living room in front of our fireplace. And something I wrote in my Facebook post was, um, how stupid is this? I wrote, um, we're gonna be live streaming for the next few weeks. <laughs> right? Like, see you in four weeks, everybody at Westway. Right? And here we are, here we are a year later. People are, people are still wearing masks. Everything that we had constructed our lives around in the last year was shaken, if not taken from us. And we wrestled with it and we wrestled through it. And surely there were some of you, I did this. Why is this happening? Are we God's people? Like, what if I read something wrong in here? As we return to whatever normal is for us. We have the same choice, the exact same choice. Are we gonna be obedient to what God calls us to? Are we gonna pay attention to him? Are we gonna follow his will, his ways in our lives? Are we gonna demonstrate what an obedient believer of Christ looks like to a world that needs to see one? Or are we just gonna choose our own way? And that has little to do with how we spend our stimulus checks, but has everything to do with our hearts. And what Jesus says about our hearts is where our treasure is there, our heart is also. I wanna encourage you to see this choice, to make this decision And be different. Not because of you, but because of Christ. Because we have the opportunity to live lives of hope that prove who we really worship. That prove our identity. Let's pray. God, we are coming to you a people who would just so often choose our own way. We so often turn our backs on you and who you are and what you have for us. And we can read the Bible and we can see thousands upon thousands of years of human history that reveals the folly of that. The people who are taken into exile, 
who are judged righteously, who are judged honestly and truly by you. God, help us, help us to see meaning in the last year. Help us to see your meaning and your purpose. Help us to see that, that you are the same righteous judge over us that you were over the people of Israel. Help us to see that you love us and you care for us and you want nothing more but to be in relationship with us. And that's why you patiently give us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to join you. It's because of your mercy and your kindness that we have the opportunity to repent of our sin. Help us to see and experience that today. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.